My message today is entitled Understanding His Holiness. We sing about holy, holy, holy. We talk about being holy. We don't really fully understand what that means. I want to talk about it because it was really a big part of uh, the Old Testament. Our Bible, as you know, has two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In its simplest terms, the Old Testament is often described as God's attempts of trying to lead the stubborn Israelites to a temporary promised land and their sinful rebelliousness and resistance all along the way. The New Testament is often described as the introduction of Jesus, God's gift to us, the sacrifice for us, bringing God's plan to rescue, save, and finally lead His people to their eternal and permanent home. Yet if we stay at these very simple and incomplete definitions, we miss the purpose of God today. There are, in fact, some churches that call themselves Christians who have discounted the Old Testament. They do not teach from it. They believe it is no longer relevant. They believe that the whole Old Testament is based on the law or on Jewish people living under the law. And since they believe the law is of no longer any use since Jesus came, they have left the teachings of the Old Testament and only focus on the New Testament. Is it right to think this way and to teach this way? Absolutely not. First of all, we must understand that when Jesus came to earth to give his life as a sacrifice for us, his purpose was not to do away with the law or the Old Testament. Matthew 5:17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus states that the law is necessary which is why he lived his life in such a way as to fulfill it. It was never his intention, and it still is not today his intention, to destroy the law. Why was the law given to us? You see, this is where the Pharisees got it wrong. This is where teachers of the law completely missed the purpose of God. You see, from the very beginning, the people missed the intention of the law. Right after Moses received the Ten Commandments and the entirety of the law, he presented it to the people as God had told them. I want you to take a look at how the people responded when he first gave them the law. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people, all of them, answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. What do you think? Does that sound like a good answer? Does anyone see anything wrong with how they responded? If you don't quite see it yet, I invite you to take a closer look. When the law was given, understand it was more than just the Ten Commandments. There were, in fact, 613 different ordinances with very specific parameters that God commanded. Some were more clear, like the Ten Commandments. Others had to do with ceremonial washings and how to prepare food. 
what you cannot eat, what you cannot wear, what you cannot talk about, what to do when you wake up, what to do before you go to bed, what to talk to your children about, etc. In other words, it was like getting an entire year of law school and trying to ingest, ingest every single law at the same time to know all the ins and outs about them. And yet we see the response of the people who already spent years in Egypt as slaves because they did not trust God and they did not believe God. They already doubted God and doubted Moses at the Red Sea. They had a long history of doubting God and not following God or His commands. And so when they are presented with all the aspects of the law that God has commanded, the very first thing they do is to look to themselves and their own ability and their own pride and say in unison, everything you say, we'll do. No problem. There was not a single one of them. They all said in unison. Not a single one of them began to worship God first for speaking to them. Not a single one of them cried out to God and asked for His mercy and grace because they knew how difficult this would be. Not a single one of them asked for forgiveness for their lack of faith and lack of trust in the past. They simply said, we'll do everything you ask, God. They didn't say, God, give us Your help. Give us Your grace. Give us Your strength and Your wisdom as we seek to honor Your requests. No. They relied on their own pride, their own strength, their own ability and their own wisdom to follow all the commands of God perfectly. This is not and never has been humanly possible. You see, the reason why God gave us the law was not so that we could follow it and be perfect in His sight. We can't. On the contrary, we were given the law to show us that none of us could follow it perfectly. None of us could fulfill all the requirements of God. None of us could live a life without sin. In other words, the law was given to reveal sin in us and make us all guilty before God. In fact, Galatians 3.24 says it this way, Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was and still is necessary to show us that none of us can follow all of God's commands perfectly. We all sin, every one of us. I mess up all the time. We all have a sinful nature. None of us can be perfect. Every one of us, according to the law, has failed. Every one of us has fallen short. When we accept this truth, we realize that we cannot be justified or made right or earn favor with God based on our works or based on the good things that we think we're doing. We cannot be made right on our efforts alone. But Jesus Christ, the One who fulfilled the law in perfection, He is the only One who can justify us. He is the only One who can make us righteous. 
if we repent and turn to Him, if we acknowledge our failings and turn to Jesus, if we accept His sacrifice on our behalf and understand that we're not just trying out God, but we absolutely need Jesus Christ. You see, without the law, even today, to reveal sin in us, people live according to their flesh. That's what's going on in the world today. They live according to their own definition of right and wrong. You've heard it. My truth is different than your truth. Hogwash. Truth is truth. They attempt to justify their thoughts and their words of sin by individual standards. Just look at society. As we currently live in a world that is seeking no law and order, there are political imbalances regarding who is indicted for crimes committed and who gets off scot-free for illegal activities. Left to their own devices, millions of people have unbelievably pushed to defund the police. We don't need law and order. We don't need the police. People have pushed to legalize all drugs. They've pushed to allow people of different genders to use the same public bathrooms. The list goes on and on of the downfall of our society as we as a people devolve into a greater lawlessness at all levels. In fact, Jesus even warned about this. This is one of his last warnings about before the end times. Before he returns again. Matthew 24, verse 12. Jesus said, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. This is exactly what is happening in the world today. The spread of lawlessness has led to a rude and ignorant and violent society that has left their first love of God. They have left their love of their brothers and their sisters, even in the church in general around the world. There is more divisiveness and more division than cooperation and forgiveness. Why? Because we as a people have said that the law is of no use. That the Old Testament serves no purpose today and does not need to be taught. Yet Jesus never abolished the law. Matthew 18, 18. Jesus said this, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does that mean to bind and to loose? Jesus is saying that the parts of the law, like the Ten Commandments, were to be bound in the law. They were necessary to reveal sin in us that we shouldn't covet, that we shouldn't bear false witness so that we would continue to realize that we need Jesus. They reveal sin in us to show us our need for Christ. But the ceremonial washings, the forbidden foods, the customs of dress, etc. were to be loosed from the law or taken out 
now that Christ had fulfilled all of them. These laws of custom were only given to show people that they could not be perfect in every thought, in every word, in every motivation, and in every action like God is. Since they are not necessary for salvation, they were loosed from the law. What Jesus did was to keep the parts in it that would continue to reveal sin to us so that we would continue to realize that we need Jesus. If you've heard churches and some people say, just try Jesus, just try Him out for a while, that's unbiblical. Those are the people that say that the law is no longer exists today. The fact is you don't try Jesus. The fact is that we need Jesus because the law shows us that we have sinned against God. You see, because too many people in too many churches do not teach the Old Testament, do not understand the importance of the law today, but rather overemphasize and incorrectly teach the concept of God's grace, because of that, sin is running rampant in the world and even in the church. In many places, the church has lost its power, has lost its influence, and has lost its way. Many have lost the reverence of a holy God. Many no longer fear God. They say it's politically incorrect. You shouldn't fear God. You should love God. It's not what the Bible says. It says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because He is holy. When Isaiah stood in the presence of God, he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And Isaiah was a prophet. Many would rather go to a church that tells them how good of a job they're doing and pats them on the back, gives everyone a gold star and a participation trophy, and says, keep up the good work. Don't be so hard on yourself. Enjoy life. Don't worry about sin because God's grace covers it all. None of these sayings are in the Bible. These are sayings of a flesh that seeks to abolish the law so that we are comfortable in our sin that seeks to nullify what God stands for, that seeks to remove the reverence from a holy God so that He is no longer the holiness that we need. Hebrews 12, verse 14 tells us, Pursue peace with all people, not just the people that you like. How many know that's very, very hard to do? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if I could lift up both hands and both feet without falling on my butt, I would. Right? Pursue peace with all people and, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The book of Hebrews was written after Jesus died, after He was resurrected, after He ascended into heaven. He did not abolish all those things. We are not told, told to pursue sin because grace covers it all. We are not told to pursue lawlessness and slander and criticism of others and injustice. We are commanded to pursue peace and holiness. And without holiness, no one will be able to see God. Holiness is all important to God. 
for it is what makes him stand out from the world. It separates him completely from sin. It endues him with all power and all authority and all majesty and perfect love and perfect peace and the perfect will for his kingdom. It's because of his holiness. The holiness of God was taught throughout the Old Testament. The reason why people failed time and time again was because it was impossible for them to seek holiness apart from God. We must be reminded of our flesh's desire to seek God on our own, to justify our own righteousness by our own works, and to think that we can live this life or even one minute of it without God. The neglect of the Old Testament lessons of truth has only sought to reinforce the truth that people still don't understand what God has been trying to do and to teach us since the beginning of time. Thus Paul proclaimed the following in Acts 28, verse 25. He said, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and tell them, say these things. Hearing, you will hear, but you shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and you will not perceive. Verse 27, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their eyes are hard of hearing. And their eyes have, their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I could heal them. The truth is that throughout the Old Testament, we see Christ foreshadowed. How do we see a shadow of Christ if He hasn't come yet to earth? Think of light shining back in Christ as in the New Testament. It's shining back and behind Him is the shadow. That's what the prophecies are. We see the shadow of Christ because He's already God is, God is existing in all time. So in our future, Christ is here and that light shines back and it casts a shadow. It wasn't just a lucky guess. It wasn't a, a great prediction. It was a shadow of Christ that would to come. Throughout the Old Testament, Christ is foreshadowed and described and prophesied about in many ways. But even though people back then and even today have these words before them, they fail to see that Jesus is the main topic of the Old Testament. Additionally, back then and even now today, people fail to see God's proclamation of His holiness and our need to understand that He is eternally holy. That when we come into prayer, we are approaching a holy God. Not a Santa Claus with a list to give us what we want. Not a giant jackpot in the sky to give us more money or more blessings. We are approaching a holy God. That when we come into worship, we're not just singing a song. We are worshiping a holy God. If God's holiness is everything to Him, 
then why is it so unimportant to the people who claim to be following him? Moses was one of God's chosen people. He was able to experience God's holy presence on this earth. We can learn a lot from Moses' life as described in the Old Testament. As you know, Moses is hailed as the leader of the Exodus, leading the people out of Egypt by God's power as God delivered the people from slavery. To Moses, God entrusted the law, which we covered earlier. Jesus also demonstrated that Moses foreshadowed his own work as the Messiah in John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Deuteronomy, we read that God himself buried Moses. We're also told that since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Yet Moses, for all of his blessings, was not allowed to enter the promised land. Why not? In Deuteronomy, God gives Moses and us the reason. Deuteronomy 32, starting at verse 51. God speaking to Moses, and he said, Because you trespassed against me among the children at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me, honor me, in the midst of the children of Israel, Yet you shall see the holy land before you. I'm going to let you see the land, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Is that fair? Moses was with God and he was holy to himself. He separated himself and the people that got to go in the land, they sinned all the time. They rebelled. But Moses was the one that wasn't allowed to go into the land along with his brother Aaron. See, God was true to his promise. He took Moses up on the mountaintop and showed Moses to all of the promised land, but he did not let him enter into it. What happened with the incident that God mentioned, the waters of Meribah, Kadesh? It's recorded in the book of Numbers in chapter 20. And nearing the end of their 40 years of wandering... The Israelites came to the desert of Zin. There was no water. And the whole community started to grumble and turn against Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting where they met with God. And they prostrated themselves before God. And God told Moses and Aaron to gather the assembly and speak to the rock. And if they did that, Water would come forth when they obeyed God at His word, for He is holy. Numbers 20, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and He said to them, Moses is speaking, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came from the rock as God had promised. 
But God immediately told Moses and Aaron that because they failed to trust him enough to honor him as holy, they would not bring the children of Israel into the promised land. The punishment may seem harsh to us, but when we look closely at Moses' actions, we see several mistakes. Number one, most obviously, Moses disobeyed a direct command from God. God had commanded Moses to speak to the rock. Instead, Moses struck the rock with his staff. Now, earlier in Exodus, when God had brought water from the rock, He had instructed Moses to strike it once with the staff. But God's instructions were different here. God wanted Moses to trust Him, especially after they had been in such a close relationship for many years. Moses didn't need to use force. He didn't need to use his own works. He didn't need to use his own actions. He simply needed to obey God and know that God would be true to His promise. Also, Moses took credit for bringing forth the water. He asked the people gathered at the rock, must we bring water out of this rock? Moses seemed to be taking credit for the miracle himself and Aaron instead of attributing it to God. Kind of like when the Israelites thought they could follow the whole law by themselves without God. But Moses did these things publicly as a chosen representative of the Lord. God could not let it go unpunished and expect the Israelites to understand His holiness. Remember to God, His holiness is everything. His holiness had to stay intact. Otherwise, there would be no reason to seek Him, no reason to turn from the world and turn to Him, to trust Him and to follow Him instead of following the sinful ways of the world. Also, the water-giving rock is used as a symbol of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This was God's intention to foreshadow the ministry of Christ. The rock was struck in Exodus just like Jesus was crucified once for all of us. Asking Moses to speak to the rock after it was already struck earlier shows how we approach the rock, which is Christ. In prayer, by the grace of God, we need only to speak to Him. And He will continue to provide the living water to those who pray in faith to Him. Therefore, when Moses angrily struck the rock, he destroyed the biblical topology and in effect crucified Christ again. And in Hebrews, we see the danger of doing exactly that. Hebrews 6, verse 4. says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come. It is impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. You see, when we sin openly, 
And when we endorse and celebrate sin, as some denominations do today, when we fail to honor God as holy in the presence of others, we are putting our eternity in peril. Why? Because we are crucifying Christ again with our outright sins that are clearly taught in the Bible. Instead of seeking repentance, we are teaching others to accept sin, to compromise their lives, and to neglect the holiness of God. Thus, God had to remove Moses and Aaron and keep them out of the promised land because they represented Him. It wasn't about punishing Moses and Aaron. It was about taking that example away from the people. In other words, even though Moses was forgiven and continued to lead his people and even appeared thousands of years later with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, even though he's listed as a man of exemplary faith in the book of Hebrews, God had to remove this example from the people and let them know that God's holiness is of utmost importance when seeking Him. Today, God's holiness is still of utmost importance. For without holiness, no one is able to see God. Let us understand that we serve a holy God. Let us preserve our reverence for the Most High. Let us know that we are approaching our God and Father of all eternal holiness. Let us understand the importance of true worship. It's not about singing a song. It's not about waiting to what we're going to do later in the day. It's not about hoping the song ends. It's understanding we are coming before a holy God who allows us to come into His presence. Let us not rush to leave the presence of God. Let us bask in and enjoy every minute and every moment with our Heavenly Father. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Right now, God is looking for you in your heart. Will you give Him the time and your undivided attention right now to just purely worship Him? Without asking for things, without begging for things, without telling Him all the stuff that's going wrong in your life, will you just trust Him enough? He knows all those things. Can you just give a holy God your worship? God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Bless us now, Lord, as we go on through this week until we come together again as a family. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.